Good morning. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I got to be a part of Big Kick this week. And so I was at the uh, Trace Fork location, and I was uh, Billy of the Billy and Willie dynamic duo. And uh, so I did a little skit thing, and then Josh Weiner was the uh, speaker at our location. And so every time that he talked, I sat with the kids and kind of got their perspective on it. And so my favorite Big Kick memory from this year is I'm sitting there with the group of the littler kids, so uh, preschoolers, so four and five-year-olds, and Josh is giving the talk, and he's sharing the story about Jesus walking on water and how Jesus walks on water, and Peter says, if it's really you, God, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to get out of the boat. And so then Peter gets out of the boat. He walks towards Jesus. He begins to sink, and then, and then Jesus reaches out a hand and picks him up. That's the story in a very quick nutshell if you don't know the story. So Josh is telling that story, bringing it to life for kids. And there gets to the point in the story where um, Peter is walking and then he begins to sink. And the little kid next to me goes, Peter should have worn his floaties. <laughs> like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, so here's my favorite picture from Big Kick. This is at our Elkview location. Those kids are ready to go at it with the mud puddle midair. So awesome, awesome time that we had. And uh, so there were, like Betsy said, 300 kids. There'll be 250 kids at the Taze Valley uh, campus this coming week, and then probably 70 to 100 kids in Westside uh, after that. So really pretty amazing thing. And uh, one of the things about it is we, um, you know, we really do it as an outreach to the community. And so uh, after this, the first sessions were over th- this week, we sent out a survey to parents to say, what did you think? Are there improvements we can make? Just kind of get some feedback for us to do it with uh, greater and greater excellence as we go forward. But one of the questions we asked was, how likely are you to recommend Big Kick to an unchurched family to send their kids there? And the answers are uh, very likely, 50-50 or not likely. And we haven't had all the surveys come back but 100% of the surveys said very likely to invite an unchurched family to come to Big Kick. And I think that is just a testimony to the volunteers who make this great and the, the coaches who are out there with kids. So if you were a part of that, thank you so much for being a part of that as far as a volunteer. And if you're visiting this morning, uh, maybe you're visiting this morning because of Big Kick. You came this week, your kids came, they said, hey, we want to come to church. Or maybe you're just visiting because you happen to be here and you're new to Riverridge Church. And you're walking in, you're wondering, what is this church all about? It's kind of different than anything I've ever been a part of. Like, there's a lot of people wearing jeans, there's people even wearing shorts, people wearing t-shirts, you know, there's donut holes in the lobby, there's a band here that looks a lot more like a band that you'd see at the Civic Center than it does like a church band kind of thing. You know, what's, what is this church all about? Here's what this church is all about. It's really one thing. We are here to help people take next steps on their journey with God. So no matter where you're coming from, we want to just help you move a step or two or more on your journey with God. You know, maybe you say, I don't really even believe in God. Well, we want to help you understand that there is a God. We say, I believe there's a God, but I'm not sure if Jesus was God and the whole Jesus thing. We want to help you to understand that. Or maybe you said, hey, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm interested in being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? We're going to help you take steps. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus. You've been a Christian for decades. We want to help you take steps of growth in your walk with God. And so that's what we're about. As Betsy mentioned earlier, 
Uh, there's a little Discovering River Ridge about 10 or 15 minutes after this service in the starting point room, which is right at those doors. And I'll just answer any questions you have, share a little bit of vision of who we are as a church. But this morning, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 39. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Genesis 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can actually download the app, and there's a little icon on the app which connects you to a Bible, and you can find Genesis 39 there. And if you don't have either of those, um, there is the, uh, the words to the scripture I'll be reading are on the screen behind me. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you um, have been such a blessing to us as part of Big Kick and to the kids who are there and the volunteers, and thank you that we get to be a part of that. Um, but Lord, it's not about soccer. It's not about running a neat little camp. It really is about you and you reaching out to humanity in the form of Jesus, and we get to share that message. And I thank you for that. As we look into Genesis 39 today, I pray that you would help us to understand our role in your story. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to start with an assumption that all of you pray to some extent, right? And I make that assumption. I think it's a pretty safe assumption that you pray because I think everybody the world over prays. Even, you know, there's a, a woman I'm very close friends with who's an atheist. When things get rough with her grandchildren, she prays, right? I think everybody prays. And a prayer that I think most people prayed, and you probably have prayed this as well, it's, and some form of this is, Lord be with, and then you fill in the name. You know, it might be, Lord be with Aunt Nancy. She has cancer. Lord be with Jason. He's going through a tough time. Lord be with Pete. He just lost his job. Lord, maybe about yourself, Lord, be with our family as we go on vacation, as we're traveling this weekend. Or Lord, be with me as I go into this job interview. But we have this prayer that is, Lord, be with me. Lord, be with me as I go to my doctor's appointment today, right? And have you ever stopped to think, what are you asking for when you say that? What does that mean, Lord, be with me? You know, we say, Lord, be with me at the doctor. You know, and so he, you know, you're at the doctor and he's standing next to you going, okay, now what? Right? Like, Lord, what, what, is, what do you, Lord, be with me. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm with you. What do you want? Right? Well, we're going to explore this phrase, Lord, be with me. Because uh, in this passage we're going to look at in, in um, Genesis 39, four times the phrase is used, and the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord was with him. And we're going to understand what does that phrase mean to us. And so, uh, if you were not here last week, we started this series uh, on the life of Joseph, and it began in, in chapter 37, and we talked about, um, as introducing this, we, we kind of asked this question, we asked the question this way. We said, what would my life look like if I completely trusted God in all of my circumstances? What would my life look like if I trusted God and I believed God was with me in the great things that are happening, good things that are happening, but also in the difficult things that are happening in my life? And to answer that question, we're looking at the life of Joseph because he was a guy who experienced the ups and downs of life. As a matter of fact, I would even go so far as to say that he had higher highs, better things that happened to him than will ever happen to any of us. And by the same token, he had things that happened to him that were worse than anything that will ever happen to us. 
And so we ask this question, what does it look like to trust God in the highs and the lows, and also in the in-between times, just the everyday things of life? And so last week in chapter 37, we started out, and we, re- we talked about Joseph, and he had this incredible gift. He had this gift to have dreams and also to interpret dreams. But he also had some pride in his life, some sinful pride. And so part of what we looked at last week was God kind of getting rid of this pride in his life, and he did it through his brothers, that his brothers threw him in a pit and took away this coat of many colors that he had that was sort of his deal to say, hey, my, my earthly father likes me better than everybody else, put him in a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. And what's interesting is we pick up, and we're going to pick up in chapter 39 today, is that all through that time, or all as we go forward, we don't see any of that pride in Joseph's life, that it was completely stripped of him in terms of his humility. So last week we did chapter 37. We're actually skipping over chapter 38 um, because it's just a wacky chapter of the Bible, right? So it, like, there's some weird stuff in there that you don't talk about in church, and so we ain't talking about it in church, all right? If you want to go and read it on your own time, you're like, oh my goodness, no wonder they skipped over that good choice. So chapter 39, you're giggling, but you don't even know it's in chapter 38, but I'm telling you, you're going to thank you, Matt. You can send me emails we can have coffee and talk about it if you want. Okay, moving on. Chapter 39 says this. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So what we have is that Joseph is sold into slavery. He's sold kind of under this traveling caravan. They pick him up in the land of Canaan. They travel about 250 miles or so to Egypt, and then they sell him to a man named Potiphar. And it says that Potiphar, they give him this title, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, we don't know exactly what that means or exactly what that position is, but uh, kind of historians and experts and people that know a lot more about this than you and I do look at that phrase and they think most likely that meant that Potiphar was head of what would have been their equivalent of like the CIA, the kind of investigative part of the government, or he was the head of the, uh, of the army. So he was a very high-ranking general in uh, Pharaoh's army. So all that to say that Joseph is in a house that has a very high status and also a high economic state in Egypt. So then it says this, beginning in chapter 2. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. So there's that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. We're going to see that a couple more times. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, so there's that phrase again, the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time, he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, it's almost repetitive. You read it over. Everything he did, he did well. And Potiphar trusted him. Everything he did well, and his master trusted him. Put him in charge of more, and everything went well. It's this cycle that... You kind of get this sense of everything Joseph did, it went well because the Lord was with him. He gave him totally, total responsibility. And I love the phrase that he kind of, I think it's probably a, 
kind of an, uh, an idiom of sorts, but he said he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. The only thing I have to figure out is what am I having for dinner? Because Joseph is taking care of the fields and the household. He's doing everything. And then it says this, uh, verse 6, uh, the end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Does that remind you of anybody? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, but I do love that he was, he was handsome in form, right? Like he had a six-pack and appearance. He was a good-looking guy, right? It says, And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so we get to this point in the story, and the tension begins to build, and Potiphar's wife says to Joseph, lie with me. Now, if you look at your Bible, if you look at any translation of the Bible, there is no question mark after the words, lie with me. She is not asking him a question. She is giving him a command as a servant in the household, as a slave in this household, saying, lie with me, come to bed with me. Now, we don't know everything about the story, and there's some kind of things that are maybe left to the imagination, but as we look at Joseph and Potiphar, Joseph, when he moved, or not moved, but he was sold into slavery in Egypt, he was 17 years old, and he was in Potiphar's house for 11 years. So he is a young man. Potiphar, however, is, has a very prestigious position in Pharaoh's um, government, and so he would have been older. But what we don't know about uh, Potiphar's wife is whether she was old or young. You know, she could have been a young trophy wife, you know, and about Joseph age and, you know, trying to reach out to him and, you know, draw him in in terms of um, temptation. Or it's also possible that Potiphar's wife was Potiphar's age and she was the original cougar trying to reach out and, you know, bring in Joseph. We don't know. But all that to say is there is a temptation here, right? But here's the thing. This is more than just a sexual temptation. What this is, it's a power temptation because she is married to the master of the house. She is married to Joseph's slave owner, basically, right? And so this passage, although it's certainly about sexual temptation, we'll talk about that in a little bit, it's also about this whole idea of sexual harassment. It really fit into the category of workplace sexual harassment because that's what it is from Joseph's perspective. But he turns it down. He said, how could I do such a thing? This is not a one-time invitation. Verse 10 says, And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So he's in there one day doing his work, and for whatever reason, the men aren't in the house. Maybe she orchestrated that all the other people would leave the house. Maybe it just happened. But it's interesting. It says day after day, she went after him. Day after day. 
You know, it's interesting. Talk about temptation. Talk about difficulties that we're in. We don't know how long this went on before she made her move. I mean, she was propositioning him verbally, but then she makes her move on him. And said it could have been a week. could have been a month. It could have gone on for years. It could have been seven, eight, nine, ten years. But eventually, she makes his, her move on him. And he rejects her, flees out of the house, but she has his garment, his outer coat in her hand. She's not happy about it. As soon as she saw, ooh, he's not happy about it either. <laughs> as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me, he came in to, me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So she cries out. She says, he came in here. He tried to, you know, make advances at me sexually. I grabbed it. I screamed, but he left his garment. What are we going to do about this? And she makes this accusation about it. But then it goes on, and she, and I'll kind of paraphrase this part, but then she calls her husband Potiphar in, and, and she says to Potiphar the same thing. He tried to attack me. Here's his garment. Here's the proof. And so here's what Potiphar does. And listen to this. It's really interesting what he does. This is verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. So here's the question that I have for you. Is does Potiphar believe Joseph, or does Potiphar believe his wife? And it's a really interesting question. It says that his anger was kindled. But I tend to look at the story and think, I think his anger was kindled at the situation. Why do I have to be in this situation between deciding between Joseph and my wife? Because Joseph has been a faithful servant for years, for 11 years at this point. And then his wife goes accusing Joseph of attacking her. And you look at this, and then you look at what he decides, and he sends Joseph to prison, to the king's prison. You see, Potiphar had every right to kill Joseph. I mean, this was a slave who sexually attacks a free woman, a free woman of status. And yet, what does Potiphar do? He sends him to prison. And I think it was more to appease his wife than because he thought Joseph was actually guilty. And then here's how the story ends up. But the Lord was with Joseph. Again, there's that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. There's that phrase again, the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 
You know, he goes to this other place, and the same thing that happened when he was a slave in Potiphar's house happens here. He rises in trust and responsibility. Even though he's still a prisoner, he rises to the top. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Over this chapter, four times we see the Lord is with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And so the natural kind of question that we should ask about this as we look at this is the question is, how can I have the Lord with me? How can I live so that, that statement would be true of me? The Lord is with Matt. The Lord is with Mary. The Lord is with Steve. The Lord is with Sophie. The Lord is whoever it is. Put your name in there. How can I live that way? The Lord is with me. Here's the first thing I want us to understand. It wasn't just that the Lord was with Joseph. It was also that Joseph was with the Lord. The Lord is with Joseph and Joseph was with the Lord. It wasn't as though Joseph just kind of stood there and did nothing and all this stuff. God just blesses him and blesses him. No, Joseph pursued the Lord as well. And it's that that I want to examine and see how that happened. So here's the first thing that we see about Joseph and his life. Is Joseph trusted God through difficulty. Joseph trusted God through difficulty. You know, I said that Joseph went through some difficult circumstances and one thing that happens in the first part of chapter 39, and we, kinda, we may even miss it because we're kind of looking at some other things, let's not forget that Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. Like the whole thing, every, it introduces Potiphar by name, but the author of Genesis is reminding us every time it talks about Potiphar, it says master, master, his master's wife. It doesn't ever go back to, it doesn't go back to Potiphar talks about master, that he was a slave, a situation that he didn't want to be in. He didn't have the freedom to go back to Canaan. He didn't have the freedom to take a day off. He didn't have the freedom to earn a living. He was a slave. That was a difficult circumstance. Here's the other situation that he's in that I think would be incredibly difficult, is he was falsely accused and he was falsely imprisoned. And I tell you, there are a few things that get me as angry as being falsely accused of something that I didn't do, that something is not true of me. A couple of years ago, I was coaching a tennis match. So I coached the tennis team at University of Charleston. And uh, the way a tennis match works, a little bit of background so you understand what I'm talking about. The way a tennis match works is it's, uh, you play nine different matches, nine courts, and whoever wins five of those is the winner of the overall match. And so we're playing a team uh, three years ago. And uh, the score is tied 4-4. We're on the last singles match on, and each player has won a set. And so at that point, it goes to what's called a super tiebreaker, which is the first one to 10 points wins. And so my player is up 9-8, to eight, right? I'm sitting away from the court on this bench, kind of at court level. My player comes to the net. Uh, if you know anything about tennis, just bear with me. But he comes to the net, and the guy hits a passing shot that lands out, and my player calls it out, right? Well, the player that hit it thinks the ball is in, but in college tennis, you call your own lines at the level that we play at, and so my player calls it out, that player thinks it's in. There's kind of an argument, but there's nothing he can do, and so my player wins that match, and then we win the whole match, right? So things quiet down, and then all of a sudden, that player and that player's coach start to tell me that I'm cheating because I should have overruled my player, which I can't do because I can't see it, right? And so, you know, they're sort of, it's sort of heating up, and then they say the one thing that just, my head was about to explode. He's, <laughs> the coach says, and you're a pastor. 
I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I was about to become very unpastorly at that moment of being accused of cheating, which I didn't do. And it was, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. But so for me, like, honestly, the next 48 hours, the next 72 hours, that was constantly just stirring in my brain, just stewing on that. And eventually, I stopped thinking about it all the time. And, have, you know, probably haven't really thought about it too much until you know, preparing this message, and God kind of brought it back to me. But with Joseph wrongly accused, it didn't go away after 48 hours or 72 hours. It was with him for what we'll find out is two years he spends in prison. And I share that with you because Joseph, through all of that, trusted God that he knew that God was doing something else. He couldn't see it. He couldn't understand it. But through it all, he doesn't get bitter. He doesn't seek revenge. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He trusts that God has this deal under control. I think that's a great question for us to ask, is do we trust God through difficulty? Here's the second way that Joseph um, was with the Lord and the Lord was with Joseph, is Joseph bloomed where he was planted, this is, that's that expression that wherever you are, bloom, make things happen, make the best of it, so to speak. And if you look at his life, that's what he did. You know, when he was sold into slavery, he made the best of it. He, did, he really elevated himself in terms of being a slave in Potiphar's house. The same thing happened in prison. He didn't lash out. He didn't withdraw. He didn't blame other people. He made the most of it, even when he was in prison. And I look at my own life, and this is maybe true of you, but it's certainly true of me. I know that when circumstances are less than ideal, when I'm in a place I don't want to be, maybe it's a city that I'm living or it's a, a situation that I'm in, when things don't go the way that I want, I tend to look inward. I tend to look selfishly, say, how can I fix me and what's going on? But that's not what Joseph did. He bloomed where he was planted. You know, I would put it this way, is we have a choice. We can either bloom or we can blame. We can either bloom and, and do what God has for us in the situation that it, we don't want to be in, or we can blame people, say, I'm here because of them, and get bitter because of you and you and you and you. But he doesn't do that. He blooms where he's planted. Here's the final way that the Lord was with Joseph and Joseph was with the Lord. Joseph fled temptation. Joseph fled temptation. Look again at chapter 39, verse 9, the second half of it. it says this, Joseph, these are Joseph's words to Potiphar's wife. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He says, how can I do this wickedness and how can I sin against God? He's talking about two different things. I want to take a moment and separate those because I think that helps us to understand what does it mean to flee temptation. If we look at the second one, he says, how then can I sin against God? He recognizes that having sex with somebody that he is not married to is a sin against God. It is adultery. It doesn't matter that you know, she was married to somebody else. He wasn't married to her. So anytime that a person has Sexual relations to someone they're not married to, it's sexual immorality. He says, that is a sin against God, and I cannot do that. You know, and that's a hard temptation. If you're facing that temptation, that's a hard temptation. You know, I was single for much of my life, and that was a temptation, but I knew that God's commandments 
were for my best and for my blessing. And it was hard to say no to sexual temptation. But at the same time, I knew and understood that purity before marriage paves the way for intimacy in marriage. And that's why God has those commandments in place. And he says, flee from all sexual immorality. Go back to this phrase, though. It says, how then can I do this great wickedness? So there's another part. There's wickedness, and that is more on a horizontal plane. So he says, how can I commit this wickedness against Potiphar's wife? And he viewed it as a wickedness, even though they were consenting adults, had he consented. But he recognizes that it is also violating her. He says, how can I do this wickedness? And there's also, how can I do this wickedness, kind of understanding that Potiphar, it was Potiphar's wife, a wickedness against Potiphar. And so what does he do? He flees. Several thousand years later, Paul will pick up on the same story as he instructs the people in the city of Corinth in a letter about how to deal with temptation. He says, he writes this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What do we do? We are to flee from sexual immorality, not try and stand up under it and stay in it. We're supposed to flee. You know, as, as I look at this last part of how Joseph was with the Lord and the Lord was with Joseph, it's about sexual temptation. It's about temptation and fleeing, but it's also about integrity. And I kind of waffled and wavered back and forth about that as I prepared the sermon, but really what it's about too is Joseph's integrity. The Lord was with him because he was a man of incredibly high integrity. And so it says the Lord was with Joseph. And we look at this and we say the Lord is with Joseph and Joseph was also with the Lord. And so then we ask this question. We say, I want the Lord to be with me. What does that look like? How can you have the Lord with you? And it's what we talk about here. Do you trust God in circumstances that are difficult? That's about being with the Lord. Do you bloom where you planted? You're in a place and situation you don't like. Do you bloom? You say, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm going to honor God and bless other people as a part of being there. And do you have integrity? Do you flee from temptation? Because, you know, as we look at our lives, we can walk out of here and just live life the way we've always lived life and just kind of think about God when it's convenient and think about God sometimes when we come to church or something happens. You know, or we can make this choice where we can be with God and God is with us. I can be with God and God is with me. The Lord is with me and I am with the Lord. And that's the way that Joseph lived his life. And he blossomed and flourished even though his circumstances were difficult. So my question to you is, is that how you want to live? Do you want to live with the Lord with you and you with the Lord? Because we have that choice to make of walking with him day by day. Next week, we'll pick up with chapter 40. Stay tuned. Will Joseph keep trusting God? Will Joseph's life get better? Will Joseph escape from prison? Will Joseph be released? Tune in next week. Maybe read ahead chapter 40. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be together, to learn from Joseph's life. And God, what a blessing it is to look at his life and to see that we can have that same type of close relationship that he had with you, that we can have that with you as well. Help us to walk down that path. In Jesus' name, amen.